Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Scott Muir, MD. So this young man comes in and he is initially triaged by the nurse out front and his chief complaint is insomnia. He has never been a patient in psychiatric care, not with a therapist, not with a psychiatrist. And his one complaint is that he can't sleep. As I meet him, I'm picking up on the fact that this is his only symptom. He, he's well-related. He's making good eye contact. I, I ask uh, you know, all sorts of leading questions that are looking for other psychiatric symptoms. And I know that if I bring him through the locked doors of the behavioral health area, I'm going to separate him from his parents. And I'm going to make him empty out his pockets, take his belt out of the loops, wand him for metal objects, take away his clothing, put him in hospital gowns, and he is going to sit there for three to four hours waiting to talk to a doctor. Having been in situations where I was behind a locked door, I knew that that wasn't what this kid needed. My name is Lance Levy. I am a psychiatric nurse in an emergency room. I have been a psychiatric nurse for 23 years. And in my late teens and early to mid 20s was uh, you know, on disability as a psychiatric patient. The memory of that locked door has motivated Lance Levy through his more than two decades of work as a psychiatric nurse. I'm Dr. Owen Muir, and welcome to Self-Disclosure, the show where we talk with health professionals openly, and often for the first time, about their own experiences with mental health. For Lance Levy, those hospitalizations began when he was a young man, but his problems, they began before that. I started treatment at the age of 13 with therapists, and when I went away to school, I found that the depression was overwhelming. I ceased to function. I reversed my sleep cycle. I slept during the day, often more than 14 hours a day. What would you do at night? Watched a lot of TV. Uh, what kind of shows? Garbage. Whatever was on. Uh, oftentimes I just laid in bed with, you know, trying to sleep. 34 years ago, it must have been really bad garbage in the middle of the night. Well, you know, I woke up for Letterman. <laughs> Did you go to classes? No. I probably went to my part-time job more than I went to classes. And how long did that go on for? Well, when I was 19, I was admitted to High Point Hospital. How long before you ended up at High Point Hospital were you? I was having, having trouble. Problem? I was having trouble for years. I, I, I was missing class in, in high school. High school. Uh, even. I was unable to stay awake uh, to to wake up early in the morning. I was staying up all night. Um, I was frequently fighting with my parents. Um, I was thinking about suicide all the time. I had made a uh, a childish attempt when I was like 12. Um, What's a childish attempt? I took a couple of bottles of children's aspirin, the kind that you can chew. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't enough milligrams to, to yeah. really harm me. but right. uh, you know. Did you chew it? Oh, yeah, sure. It was orange flavored. <laughs> okay. Um, but but at 19, thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Right? 
What were you thinking about? Going off into the woods and, and taking an overdose so that I wouldn't be found until it was too late. For me personally, it it, it, it seemed egotistical that I had answers to life being worthless when the vast majority of the world relished and, and enjoyed life. And I couldn't imagine that I had the right answer. So I knew something was wrong with me. Who, who brought you to the hospital? I did. You did, yourself? Mm-hmm. Anyone go with you? Nope. What was, the, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? You'd been laying in bed a long time. I was going to, uh, to college at SUNY Purchase, and um, High Point Hospital was a short walk away. I had started seeing a psychiatrist there uh, who was recommended uh, to my parents. And he was uh, a very good physician. And, um, you know, when I started to feel really suicidal, I came into the office and I said, you know, um, I'm feeling really bad. And he said, well, I think that it's time for you to come into the hospital. And I just didn't go back to my dorm room. So you went from his office? I was walked up, um, you know, the, the center stairs and, that were carpeted, and I got to a plexiglass door, and, you know, once I was on the other side, I was in the hospital. So what do you remember about going through that, that plexiglass door? The fear of taking my own life was greater than my fear of whatever was coming. And I always told myself, well, I can always kill myself tomorrow. I was too numb to be scared. I I truly felt like you could, you know, Walk me in any direction you wanted to. I really just didn't care enough about anything to have a, a direction of my own. And I spent 20 months there. 20 months behind that plexiglass door, that locked door. When Lance left, he got an apartment, made a go of it, but he got depressed again. He started hoarding pills. He eventually called a helpline and found himself behind another locked door, this time in a state psychiatric hospital, a much rougher place. He spent five months there. After that, he was discharged to a group home, and it was only there that he began to understand his behavior. It helped that I had a therapist at, uh, at the day program I attended who helped me realize that um, my withdrawal was actually a decision. It wasn't the absence of a decision. When I would get home from program, it, it was, you know, do I crawl into bed or do I do something active? What I'm wondering is how does a guy who's, you know, been through the ringer get to the point where you're at now where... No, it was a, it was a conscious decision. I, I, I was well aware that I could have taken a path that I call professional patient. I could have, you know, remained a 
consumer in the system taking up a bed in a group home or an apartment program. I could have remained in a cycle of, of mood swings. And I decided that it was important for me to pull myself out of that. My best friend growing up had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he died at age 24. And there was a point in time where the two of us, me with my depression, him with his cancer, were both lying around in pain during the day. And he couldn't get well. He passed. I had the opportunity to get well. It meant that I would have to work hard at it. And I did. So when the choice came, you know, I got to get well, I got to do something because doing something is a choice you had to make to be well. You, how'd you make the choice to be a nurse? You know, it, it seemed like, you know, this is something that I could do. Um, I had, uh, I don't know if it's a gift or a curse, but um, I read people fairly well. I understand depression from my own you know, point of view. Um, and I have seen, you know, people who are, you know, uh, dealing with stimuli that the rest of us aren't aware of. And, and when you say that, basically things going on in their own head. Right. You spend 20 months in a hospital, you spend five months in another hospital you meet these people, you get to know these people, you call some of these people your friends. And you start to recognize that, you know, this affliction that they have is their curse. It's it's not something to be scared of. It's not catching. It's it's something to, to you know, try and be sensitive to. And these people, in, in this case, was also you. Yes. And the next thing I knew, I was working on Ward's Island at a state hospital. I show up there and um, the director of nursing interviews me. And I, I guess I should say that I am five foot 11 and uh, husky. <laughs> Maybe even bigger than husky. Uh, at the time, I was husky. <laughs> now I'm fat. <laughs> um, she took one look at me and she said, so where would you like to work? And I said, community preparation unit. I want to teach people how to, you know, function on the outside. She said, great, I'm going to get, I'm going to send you to intensive psychiatric services where the violent patients are. <laughs> and that's where I was for two years. <laughs> two years. So walking into, it wasn't the same state hospital you were at, no. but uh, it was a state hospital. Um, can I tell you, I did not need to learn the floor plan. Right. They're all the same. They're, They're all built by the Work Projects Administration under Roosevelt. <laughs> and, the, and it's true. They actually had the identical plans, and that's how they save money building them. Absolutely. So you get out of the elevator on the top floor. It's your first time there. Yeah. I took something I learned from orienteering in, in, in the woods, that you pick a tree, you know, on your compass point, and you walk towards that tree. Well, you pick a point at the end of the hall and you walk to it as if you know that that's where you belong. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it's important that you establish your bona fides. 
you belong there. You don't want to show weakness. You don't want to, you know, you, you learn the particulars as you need to, but you don't want to, you know, walk in there being a rube. <laughs> so how, how, did you, how did you walk in there not as a rube? Well, you know, I had spent five months <laughs> in a state hospital. <laughs> I knew what the floor plan was. I knew what, you know, what to expect. And, you know. You had an edge. I, yeah. You know, it, you, you get both the compassion, but you also get uh, uh, less fear and uh, a certain level of comfort. The locked door is still very much a part of Lance Levy's life. But now he passes through it as a caregiver, freely, and whenever he wants, because, you know, he's got the keys. In fact, he's got a lot of them. Can I tell you a little secret? I have a copy of my ID and the keys from every job I've had in psych. Something about knowing you can get out (laughs) is very relieving. for listening. I'm your host, Owen Scott Muir, MD, and this is the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast, the companion publication to the thefrontierpsychiatrist.substack.com. Subscribe and rate this as five stars because it helps discovery on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you happen to be listening. Have a great one.